We are in the book of John, John's gospel, and we're in chapter one. We started last week. John comes and he just erupts with these words to try and describe who Jesus is. And as he's going on and on and on, he doesn't even get to the name Jesus until verse 17, because it's almost like if I just tell you his name, you will lose the power of who he is. He is not just the man, Christ Jesus. He is the word. The word that is life, and this life is the light of all men. The light came into darkness. The darkness couldn't understand it. The word became flesh and pitched his tent in our neighborhood. And here he is, the Christ. And now we're going to go into actually what starts to take place in this lifetime of Jesus, the short lifetime or ministry that we have here in John's gospel. And so the first 18 verses are really just an introduction to what's going to be happening. And so let's pick it up in John chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders, this is John the Baptist, when the Jewish Leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John is baptizing. He's there and he's got a, a following and they are curious to who he says he is. The Jewish people at this time are looking for a Messiah. And so there are messiahs aplenty coming out saying, I'm the messiah, come and follow me, trying to start something, trying to get a a following. Maybe, you know, thinking too much of themselves and they really think they're the messiah. And so every time there's someone who springs up and has a crowd, they want to know, are you saying you're the messiah? Because we need to know we're the religious leaders. We're trying to find out what's going on. And so they go to confront him and he testifies Open up front, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then, are you Elijah? And the reason they're asking if he's Elijah, because it talks about one coming before the Messiah to make way. And Elijah, we know, was taken up. Well, are you Elijah? No, I'm not him either. Okay, well, are you that prophet, that one who's coming before, who the Lord is going to send? Are you him? He said, no. Okay, give us more. You're not, you're not answering the question, who are you? We want to know. And he responds with a passage 
in Isaiah chapter 40, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what stands out to me is they're looking to see if you're not the Messiah, are you the person who is coming before to make known who the Messiah is? Are you preparing the way for the Messiah? And that's what he is doing. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so this is what they're waiting for. The one who is before preparing the way, but it, it makes me wonder, and here's the question I want to ask you. Why does someone need to prepare the way for the Lord? Don't you think he could just handle it himself? Why does he need someone to prepare the way? It was prophesied, yeah, but why does it have to happen? Couldn't he just let him know? Do you find that curious? Now think about all these things. I mean, I think they're all good, what you're saying. And I, I think they're all true. But here's what I found curious. God needed a man to prepare his way. God wanted a man to prepare his way. I find that amazing. I find that uncomfortable. It makes me feel uneasy that God would send a man to prepare his way. And it makes me wonder what our role is supposed to be. That we can still prepare the way. That we can still make the path straight. That for people maybe to find the truth about who Jesus is, the Messiah, who God is, requires us to make a path for them so that they can see more clearly. You see, Jesus, when he came, did not have the appearance or, or anything beautiful that he would be desired, Isaiah tells us. There was nothing about him that, that stood out. He did not glow in the dark. He, he, he didn't, he wasn't the only white guy there, okay? He was a Jewish man about the same height as most Jewish men, had the same color eyes. They probably weren't blue, despite all the movies and pictures you've seen. He looked just like them. And, and if you didn't notice it, you would have missed him all together. And so God says, I want someone to come before you and to announce that you are here. Because when people see you, they won't really understand it. But maybe if you let them know 
it will help them to actually see. That you will actually be the agent to help open their eyes, to put it in their mind that it's there. Have you guys ever seen those videos where you're watching this video and they ask you something like, how many times is the basketball passed? And you're watching this basketball go back and forth and you're counting. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, 15, 15, yeah. And they say, okay, now did you notice the gorilla moonwalking across the court? And you're like, what? And they play it back and sure enough, there's a guy in a gorilla suit moonwalking, but you didn't catch it because you were counting the basketballs. And then how do you miss a gorilla moonwalking through a bunch of people? How, how can you miss that? How do you miss God in flesh among us? But we can. Unless someone brings it to our attention, look for this. And when you're looking for it now, all of a sudden, I see it. I see him. And God chose to use a man to help us identify and see the Messiah. How important are we to the work of God? How important is it for you to be able to help someone see who Jesus is? Now, I know we we don't want to think too highly of ourselves. I'm not that important, you know. No, I just want to lift up Jesus. Well, don't worry. Jesus isn't worried about you taking any glory, okay? He doesn't have, oh no, John's going to get all the people. You know, Jesus will shine. Don't worry. Once you get them to get a glimpse of Jesus, you'll be forgotten in no time at all. But God is choosing us, to use us to help make him known. And the power of that just pressed against me as I was reading and thinking about this. Because everywhere I'm reading, well, John is nothing, John is this, John is this. Like God chose him. He's important. Don't tell me he's nothing. He's here. He was pointing, yes, to the one who is more important, but God chose him. And I find that powerful. I find that impressive. And John is baptizing, and they're asking him, why are you baptizing? And John's practice of baptism with water was a symbolic rite of purification and dedication. It was, we want you to recognize that you need to dedicate yourself to the Lord and we need a purification. Uh, get cleansed from the things that are sinful in your life. Dedicate yourself to God. And it was kind of that preparation so that when God speaks, you are able to hear. When God talks, you are able to move. When God shows up, you're able to now follow. And so that baptism that he's talking about, why are you baptizing? What's this all about? Well, it's dedication, it's preparation, it's purification. And he goes on, he says, I baptize with water, but among you, one you don't know is the one who comes after me and his straps of his sandals, I'm not worthy to untie. And so even though I'm here declaring this, there is one who is above me. And this all happened in Bethany. 
John's letting us know actually that he was there at this time. He knows where it was, or at least is telling about it, but we believe that he was there. Verse 29. Actually, anything in those first verses that stand out or, or you want to comment on maybe what I said or you want to tell me you're crazy? Any other thoughts? Cool. Let's go on. Verse 29. The next day, day two. This is kind of cool. We're getting a few days in a row. We know a little chronology here. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin, singular, of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Let's stop there. Okay, John sees Jesus now. Now, how was John related to Jesus? Cousins. Okay, so John sees Jesus. He knows he's his cousin, most likely. I mean, usually when they would go to the feast together, it would be a whole family that would go together. And so you would have Mary and Elizabeth and all the kids going along and it would just be this big family road trip. Sound like fun? You know, just going down to Jerusalem and they go there. And so they probably grew up together, knew each other, and he sees them and he recognizes him, but he recognizes him differently. He says that, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed. Now, why do you think he said he did not know him? What, what's, because he does know him, right? So it's almost like he didn't, it's not that he didn't know who he was, he didn't know what he was. He didn't know that he was the Messiah. And he goes on and he tells us why he knows. In verse 32, he says, Then John gave this testimony, and this is how he knew. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him in this way, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So John has this conversation with God and God says, the one who is here among you, the chosen one, the reason you'll know it's him is because the spirit will come upon him and remain upon him. And he gives this description of a dove. The the Hebrews talk about in Genesis where it says the spirit was um, brewed among over the waters. It fluttered and they would say it fluttered like a dove. And so this idea of like a dove and the spirit are are closely connected. The the word spirit is ruach. It sounds Klingon, but it's it's not. I just gave myself away. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Trekkie. Yeah, I got a outfit in my closet. No, I don't. Um, this idea of spirit is also the word wind. This idea of breath. It's all this dealing with spirit. And he starts off by saying, "The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." And this is definitely something that the 
the Jewish mind would connect to, the, the sacrifices and how lambs have been a part of their tradition is throughout Scripture. Whether it was Abraham going up with Isaac and Isaac saying, Father, we see the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham tells him, God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice, whether it's the Passover where they sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel, and that allowed the angel to pass over those houses and spare them. And so this imagery of a lamb and sacrifice is very clear. When he says, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's a prophetic utterance of who Jesus is and what was going to take place. And then the Spirit comes upon him. Anyone find that interesting? Why does the Spirit need to come on Jesus? Doesn't he have the Spirit already? So what's this about? Any thoughts? Okay, well, you go first. Oh, she thinking she... I I thought you were giving me an amen. Amen there. Tim... So an example for us, Spirit, because Jesus had the Spirit, right? He was God, but something happened. I think sometimes what we think of as when the Spirit comes on us, it means we are are deficient of something. And maybe instead of thinking we're deficient in something, maybe it is more of a clarification of something. Maybe the Spirit coming upon Jesus was clarification that now is time to begin this work that I have for you to do. This ministry. I mean, Jesus has been God his whole life. The Spirit has been with him his whole life. But he didn't come out publicly until he was 30 years of age. And maybe the Spirit coming upon him was a time of clarification now. This is it. This is the time you come forward. This is the time you start. Now is when it takes place. And I think what you said about that idea of Pentecost or that idea of the Spirit coming upon us, again, instead of it being, okay, now I'm going to get what I'm lacking, maybe what we need to do is get clarification as to what we are supposed to be doing. You see, the Spirit comes upon us so that we can do what we have now the ability to do. Because God has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. We, we are here not just to go have a good time. We, we are here for a purpose, and our purpose is varied. Your purpose is different than your purpose is different than my purpose. And Jesus himself had a purpose. He was here with the intention to do something. And we are all here for a reason. And many times what we really need is clarification. Because, you know, we're out kicking the grass in left field saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And we're just kind of... Oh, humming around, and we need, no, hey, 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 give me your attention. I want you to do this. 
I'd like you to start a company that will help these people. Or I want you to become a teacher and teach these people. Or, you know what, wouldn't it be nice if you started helping people who are involved in this area? Maybe people who are, you know, in the areas of addiction or help those who are involved with the sex trafficking. Or maybe it's something not as, you know, heavy. But there is a burden that has been given to you by God himself. It's a part of your DNA spiritually to live this life. And maybe what you need is a little clarification. Maybe what you and I need is the spirit to come upon us and give us the, this is it, go. And as I, I've told you before, I'm not so concerned with the details, and I don't think God is concerned with the details. When we talk about the will of God, I don't think it's a tightrope that we have to follow. I, I think it, it's very broad. And doing good can encompass a whole lot of things. But where is it that you want to make your mark in this world? Because you're here to do good. You're, you're here to make the world a better place in some way. Maybe it's by growing flowers, okay? People who grow flowers do a good thing. And it's not me and it's not my wife. We, we aren't good at growing things. We can kill them for you, but we're not good at, but someone who creates flowers or, or develops, you know, things, horticulture or painting or music or poetry or teaching or plumbing. You ever really needed a plumber? Yes. God bless all the plumbers. <laughs> You see, there is so much you can do that can be used for a place that is good that maybe what you need is clarification that this is it and now is the time. See, Jesus knew my time has not yet come. We have that story where, you know, Mary goes looking for him in the temple and there he is dialoguing. And he's, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? What other kid could get away saying that, okay? But Jesus does because he knew something was there. But now is the clarification now. This is the time to do what you need to do. And I think we need that kind of clarification. The Spirit needs to come upon us, not to make us do wild and crazy things, not so that we can speak out in tongues or we can do miraculous things. Maybe it's so that we can live in obedience to the life that God has for us to live. Maybe that would make the biggest effect in the world around us. And so let's try and lose or unlearn some of the things maybe we have learned and thought and make this idea of the Spirit some kind of event that happens if these things happen. And, and think of it as more of a clarification of doing the things that God has for us to do and living the life that God desires for us to live. And again, that could be broad, but it is intentional. 
and it does have direction. And so the Spirit comes upon Jesus, and it remains, and in this way, John says, you're the one. And so he sees that happen. He sees that's taking place. You are the chosen one, the Christ. The chosen one is basically a term for the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There's that prophetic just declaration. And then verse 35, the next day. I think this is so cool. We're getting like a whole week in a row. And we're getting these events because it doesn't happen all the time through the Gospels. Sometimes you'll be reading and it's like, this is like a year later. Oh my, what happened? Or Matthew's Gospel, it's like, wait, when is this? And Matthew writes specifically to try and bring themes across. But here we're getting like a little chronology. This is a week with Jesus, you know, kind of a thing. The next day, verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So John the Baptist sees Jesus the next day and he says, look, the Lamb of God, two of his disciples, we know one is Andrew from verse 40 and 41. We believe the other one is John because John has a way of not mentioning himself by name, but he'll drop a hint, the one Jesus loved or something like that. And so here are two people who were John's disciples and John says, look, the Lamb of God. And so now they leave John and start following Jesus. And as they're following Jesus, the most amazing thing happens. Jesus' first words, what would you want his first words to be to you? If you were going to start following Jesus and he's going to say something to you, would it be this? What do you want? I thought you would know. I think it is amazing that Jesus' first words here in this book, John's book, are a question. I just think that's remarkable. What do you want? And he's not just asking for, he's asking, what do you want? And so they say, well, where are you staying? And that's their way of saying, well, we want to stay with you. We'd like to go with you. Where are you staying? And he says, come and see. See, his question to them brought about what do you want? Because really, it's up to you. See, if you just want to see me, you know, just wanted to see what you're doing. Okay, but if you want to follow me, okay. So I think it's amazing that the first thing Jesus says is a question, and I think that's still true today. 
I think Jesus is still saying, what do you want? So many times when I'm talking to people or will sit down and they're going through some kind of uh, just turmoil, and I say, well, what's going on? It's just I don't know what the will of God is for my life. And I feel like Jesus is saying, well, what do you want? I, I don't know if I should move here or should I do this. Well, what do you want? I want God to tell me. Well, God's actually the one doing the asking. Because it's up to you. You know he wants you to do good. You know that he, he has your, you here for a purpose, but he's put that in you. And so instead of just telling you to do something, he asks, what do you want to do? Because if you don't want to do it, it doesn't matter. I don't, I've had no, no success. I was going to say little success, but I've had no success telling my kids what to do. Absolutely none. I've made them do some things, but asking them what to do doesn't usually change what they want to do. When they want to do something, they'll find a way. You can't go out. Okay. Windows open, screens off. Knock on the door, 4 in the a.m. Police are there. Is this your son? Nope, not mine. <laughs> See, we're going to do what we want. And so Jesus asks, what do you want? What do you want? And I think that's powerful. And then he says next to them, come. After they say, well, this is what he wants. And he says, okay, come on, let's do it. And so let me ask you the question, what do you want to do? Is there something that's pulsing in your heart? And maybe it's not really clear, but you have this idea that I, I would like to be a part of something bigger than myself. I, I'd like to be involved with something that helps or serves or creates whatever, fill in the blanks. This is what I want. Then hear God's voice saying, come on, let's do it. Come on then. You see, he, he's put it in you and then he says, come on, let's do it. He doesn't just say, go, take care of it. He says, come on then, let's do it. And I think it's important that we recognize that God is giving us an invitation, that he is asking us, first of all, what we want. And, and then he's saying, come on, let's do that. There was something I wrote a while back. Let's see if I can find it. I wrote this just kind of as if it was God speaking to me. And it was, Sam, I will not, nor will I ever cease to give up on seeing you fulfill the person I have created you to be. And then it ended with, let's do this. And so... I feel like God was speaking to my heart and saying, I've, I'm not going to give up on all that you can become. Let's do it. And the invitation is for me to move forward and he'll be with me. And so Jesus says, come. 
And then he, or first he says, what do you want? And then he says, come on, let's go. And you will see. So they go with him, verse 39. They went where he was staying and they spent the day with him. How cool is that? And then they're going to spend the next three years. It just... Amazing. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two. When he heard what John had said, he followed Jesus. The first thing he did was go and get his brother Simon and tell him. We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. How cool is that? He brought his brother to Jesus. And then Jesus looked at him and says, you are Simon, son of John. Now, the word Simon basically means sand. It's like shifting sand. And it says, you are Simon, but you will be called Peter, Cephas, which means rock. How cool is that? Jesus sees Peter and goes, you know, you're shifting sand, but you're going to be called rock. Wow. What a great thing to speak into his life, encouragement and words. And Jesus doesn't see Peter for who he is. He sees Peter for who he can be. And God doesn't see you for who you are right now. He sees you for who you can be. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? And we know this is true because we have that declaration in Hebrews chapter 11 as it talks about all these men and women of faith. And some of them weren't that faithful. But God sees them and says, oh man, this is what they did. God sees Peter for who he will be. God sees you for who you will be. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Or are you cheating yourself? No, you don't know me. I've got this problem. I got this problem. I got this problem. No, I know. But do you see you have this potential, this potential, this potential? How do you see yourself? And what is the life you are creating as you move forward? Verse 43. Any questions on that part? Um, well, their clock didn't... The day started at sundown, right? At sundown is when the clock would start. And so we cause it at sunup, but it's sundown. And so I don't think it... It depends on when the sun went down. It was around 4 o'clock. The 10th hour, it would be the 10th hour after the sun went down, which would bring to them, I think, 4 o'clock. Is that right, Michael? I don't know. Uh, I, don't know. I don't know how the 10th hour turns to 4 o'clock, um, 4 in the afternoon, but there it is. I have to look it up. Um, so, sorry, I can't be clear on that, but I know the way they did their hour. It wasn't like our time clock. So this translation is interpreting how they used that and it would come out to four o'clock. Um, well, it was a 24 hour period, but I thought the day counted. I thought at sundown. Well, it depends what time of year it was. Sometimes it might be eight o'clock. Yeah, probably not. So all right, I'm going to move on because i got nothing else to offer there. Verse 43, the next day. How cool, another day. Here we are. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Philip is talking to Nathanael very specifically. He's talking to Nathanael in a way that Nathanael would appreciate. Have you ever talked to someone about something and you know they're interested in, say, music? And so you know a little bit about music, but when you talk to this person, you're going to talk to them about those things. Oh, yes, it was a 1963 um, pre-CBS Fender Stratocaster. And if you're a person who knows music, you'll know what that means. And if you're not, you won't care. But when you're talking to someone who has understanding about certain things, you talk more specifically. And so we see Philip talking very specifically to Nathaniel. We're talking about, you know, the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also write, wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel's response, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, it's not just that Nazareth was like a slum, you know, when I worked in Pomona, I used to say that about Pomona. It's gotten better. But I worked in Pomona, and I'd say, can anything good come out of Pomona? But now things are good in Pomona. But it's not just that it was a, a bad place. It's that there was no scriptural significance to Nazareth. In other words, Messiah is not supposed to come from Nazareth. It's supposed to come from Bethlehem. So what is, who's this Jesus of Nazareth? See, Nathaniel was scripturally savvy. He knew the scriptures. And so Philip goes to him, hey, this is the one Moses talked about in the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Nathaniel goes, eh, Nazareth. What's supposed to come out of Nazareth? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathaniel? Now, are you getting an attitude from Nathaniel? Is anyone else getting this? Anyone getting a little like, I, I ain't buying this yet. Not, at least that's how I get Nazareth, anything good come out of How do you know me? He's like, are you some kind of, you know, you're scamming me. You're scamming my brother, but you're not going to scam me. Okay, because I know the scripture. Ain't nothing come out of Nazareth. Who are you really? Come on. And so... Jesus sees him and he goes, Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, I don't know. Did those words do anything for you? <laughs> what do you think that means? You were under the fig tree. I saw you are you still under the fig tree. Well, a fig tree is a place that you would get shade. It is most likely that what Nathaniel was doing was taking a time of meditation and prayer under a fig tree. And while he was there praying, maybe asking God, I mean, this again, this is a movie. There, there's, there's a storyline here. As he goes down and he starts praying, he says, God, 
I know the Messiah is going to come. When is it going to happen? God, can it happen in my lifetime? And then Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. When I was in Wales in 2005, and a group of us from California went to Swansea, Wales, and we showed up at a skate park that was there in the city where kids were skating. And as we got to know some of the people that were there, later on, one of the girls that was a part of the group, she said that before, when she got up that morning, she just prayed and asked God, God, if you're real, can you just make yourself known to me in some way? She got up and went to the skate park, and there were 30 American Christians there. And for her, it was like, uh, I saw you under the fig tree moment. It was one of those things like, God, I, I didn't know. How, how did you know? You see, when Jesus says this, it connected to Nathaniel right away because no doubt there was something that was very personal to him that he and God had talked about under that fig tree. And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And it was, well, bam. Okay. And the next thing, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. I think that's so cool. That's just so cool. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly, which is something John says a lot, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that picture is again something clear, especially in the Hebrew mind, ascending and descending. What is that from? Jacob. Jacob had a dream, saw the angels ascending and descending. And so he tells Nathaniel, this one who's a f familiar with the scripture, says, you think that's something, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending. And so what an incredible declaration to him. You know, you're going to see them ascending and descending, the Son of Man. I love how immediately... Jesus is so personal with the people that he encountered. And I think it's important that he is always that way. I remember talking to someone and she was telling me that, you know, she basically sees three kinds of people. You know, those who have faith in God, um, those who are, you know, en route to faith in God and those who don't have faith in God. And she had this little, you know, diagram of what people were, these three categories. And I remember telling her, I think there are six billion categories. And I think God has a category for each person. And we try and put people into categories that we understand. But you see, Nathaniel, the next day became a follower of Jesus, or Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 all of a sudden became a follower of Jesus in a moment's time. Or the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, had this journey and his journey looked like this. Or what about the Magi? What did their journey look like? These idolaters. And it's so different. What about Saul, who was 
killing Christians for God's sake and then became a follower of Jesus. What category was he two days ago? You see, God has six billion categories. And there's one for every person because he is personal to every person. And he has a desire to connect to every human being on the planet. And he says to everyone, what do you want? And if we say, well, I'd like to know where you're staying, he says, come. And if you're praying under a fig tree and you're saying, God, I wish I could see you in my lifetime, God answers and says, I saw you. Or if you're in Swansea, Wales, and you pray, God, just make yourself known to me. And on your way to the skate park, you encounter all these crazy people. God has a way of dealing with every one of us, and it is very personal. Any thoughts or questions that don't have to do with time? No, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing, man. Any other thoughts on this passage? I'm just teasing you, man. That's a good question. No? Next week, first miracle of Jesus. Now think about this. I want you to read chapter 2 ahead of me. God's about to make himself known. First miracle of Jesus. This is this is the landmark. This is what sets him above everyone else. What's he going to do? Read chapter 2. You, you, all you have to do is look at the headline. He turns water to wine. I know what he does. <clears throat> Why would he do that for his first miracle? Anyway, let's pray. God, I thank you for, again, getting to follow you these few days and, and seeing the transition of you stepping into this time, this life that changed ours, this calling, the clarity of recognition of what you were all about and what you were going to do and how that affected so many how you used men, people just like us, to prepare others to know who you are. God, that you see us not just as we are, but as we can be. Lord, may we not see ourselves just with the problems that we have. May we see ourselves with the potential. May we not live our lives trying to just keep from falling. May we live our lives striving to move forward. May we stop being so defensive and living lives that are beaten and battered. And may we live lives that are on the offense, that are moving forward. May we take these steps to be the, the men, the women that we can be. 
may we respond to your question. What do you want? And Lord, may we search our hearts and ask ourselves, what do I want? And if what I want is not very exciting, if what I want is less than what I really want, may we hear that voice that says, no, you want more than that. Lord, may we want more. And may we hear your invitation to come. May you give us your name. May we live lives that are connected to you. We do pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Chapter 2 next week. Good stuff.